This is Look West, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. Should 17-year-olds be allowed to vote in a primary election if they'll be 18 before the general election in November? I'm Bob Shalene with Look West. We had a chance to ask some students in South San Francisco that very question. If you have 17 going on 18-year-olds who will be voting in the general election, why shouldn't they have a say in who they will be voting for in that general election, you know? I think 17-year-olds should be allowed to vote because we're coming straight out of high school and we're going to apply our knowledge from our government classes so that we can, you know, make informed decisions about our future. Most of my classmates, I'd say, would like to vote because we had a voter pre-registration drive and a couple hundred of us signed up. I have faith in our um, peers that we will be able to have more voter participation. The idea has been debated in California for more than three decades, thanks to former Assemblymember Gene Mullen, and now, thanks to current Assemblymember and Gene's son, Kevin Mullen, the issue is back on the front burner. Some of the students sat down with the two Mullins to talk about the proposed constitutional amendment to allow some 17-year-olds to vote, the importance of civic engagement, and the role schools can play in the political process. Hi, I'm California State Assembly member Kevin Mullen, and you're listening to the Look West podcast. Today, we're in my hometown of South San Francisco, and I'm joined by former South San Francisco council member and state assembly member, and more importantly for this segment, my father, Gene Mullen. We're Thank also for inviting me. We're also joined at the table by Ainsley Rosenthal from El Camino High School here in South San Francisco, and we also have Alexia Estrada from South San Francisco High School. And they are participants in something called Youth in Government Day. And today, the city of South San Francisco held their 39th annual Youth in Government Day luncheon to uh, celebrate this uh, participation by the young people. And what's interesting about having my father here, he actually initiated uh, the Youth in Government program uh, before his elective office when he was a government teacher at South San Francisco High School. So. How did you come up with this idea to create Youth in Government Day? Well, I had, uh, I had uh, an acquaintanceship with one of the council members, Roberta Tellier, who was the first female council member. We've had a total of, I think, four in the 40 years since, but we're, we're making strides finally. And uh, she and I served together on the planning commission, and uh, she had been a teacher, and we talked over the years about uh, establishing a program in which we would get kids more actively involved in, in uh, understanding the city. And uh, I think we had all had sort of experiences like that. You do a half a day and you sit some, with somebody and have a sandwich and then go home. We wanted to kind of jazz it up and make it a real experience. And so we planned it together and with, uh, with the people in Park and Rec who became uh, our contact people with the uh, the staffing and with money from the growing industries in South San Francisco we put together a program that had uh, 40 students and they did the program over a total of three days <clears throat> so we we started with a tour of the city so the kids could actually get on buses and we would make stops not just the government buildings, but uh, all of the the growing industry and the. Park. I, I do remember the wastewater treatment plant was. We always a real stopped at the at the sewer plant right before lunch because we didn't <laughs> spend a lot of money on lunch, so we take we would take their appetites away. But uh, that in itself, 
uh, I always found quite fascinating. It kind of tells you about my life. Uh, <laughs> but when you flush the toilet, something happens. And it's an important, of, of all the things the cities do, that's got to keep operating because that's an important element. And uh, so that was sort of the first day. And then we, we, uh, we paired up those 40 youngsters with uh, counterparts throughout the city. And they spent a day with them, shadowing them for the entire day. And we had them create an, an issue that they would then subsequently uh, report in a live televised uh, city council meeting. And so that the, the second day was the day with their counterparts. The third day was the banquet and much the same as we had today. And then that night, I think, they had the live televised city council meeting. And so the city council members would hear the issues generated by the different departments and then would be required to, uh, to make a decision. And so it became really a, uh, a stellar program. And we said, and I still say it was the state model for, for, that, uh, for that period of time. So Roberta was really a great asset because she was on the council and she had access to the power. And Roberta Tellier, the first woman to serve on the city council here in South San Francisco. And I worked in her, she, she ran twice before she was elected. And so we became friends, not only through the planning commission, but because I worked in her campaign. Right. So I want to bring Ainsley and Alexia in. So you, you are current participants in the program, but you've not had the council meeting yet, right? So you're still learning about how the city operates, right? Yeah, no, we haven't had the uh, council meeting yet, but... Uh, on Wednesday night, we went and sat with our counterparts at the city council meeting, the regularly scheduled city council meeting, uh, to kind of observe how our mock city council meeting will be happening. And then today, we actually spent the day with each of our counterparts. I spent the day with Miss Rosa Govea Costa, the city clerk, and uh, got to start learning about what her job is and how it fits into the bigger picture of the city. So this is Ainsley Rosenthal, and you're El Camino High School. Yes, I am. Now, your grandfather served on the school board here in South San Francisco for quite a long time. Is that part of the family lore here? Is that Had that triggered your interest in local government? Yes, definitely. So I remember all through elementary school, I would go and I would just watch my grandfather at these uh, school board meetings and you know he got to know a lot of people both in local government and then higher up at the state and federal level and so I grew up meeting all of these different people and it just gave me a really great exposure from a young age uh, to civic engagement and and uh, really got me interested in government. Yeah so you're a senior? I am a senior. And what do you plan to do next year? Uh, So I just committed to the University of California, Santa Barbara. Fantastic. um, And I plan to major in sociology and communications. Excellent. So I want to turn to uh, Alexia Estrada. Alexia is a senior at South San Francisco High School, senior at South City High. And what role are you playing in the youth and government? Who are you shadowing? So I'm the city council member, and I'm shadowing uh, council member Flora Nicholas, the fourth woman to serve on the city council. Um, so pretty much I, I got to sit on the dais on the day of the city council yeah. meeting, and that was really interesting, you know, seeing everybody from above, hearing all the staff reports and everything. So you're in the, one of those big chairs up there on the dais, and you're going to yeah. get to make the decision. <laughs> Uh, so how did you hear about the Youth and Government program and what inspired you to participate? 
Uh, so my government teacher had originally brought it up, and he said, anybody who wants to participate? And then at first I was unsure, you know, like, oh, I don't really know. Um, and then I had a classmate who did it last year, and he had told me, you know, it was really fun last year, you know. So I was like, okay, I'm interested in government, so why not try yeah. local government too? Excellent. So what do you want to do next year? So next year I'll be going to City College of San Francisco, and um, I plan to transfer to a UC and pursue law afterwards. Fantastic. So it's kind of interesting. We have a little bit of a confluence of events here. We've got Youth and Government Day happening, but this podcast idea originated with the discussion around uh, some legislation that I've introduced that would allow 17-year-olds to vote in primary elections if they will be 18 by the general election. And we have my father here at the table, and he was uh, the original author of the constitutional amendment to enable that to happen. Several times. Several times. <laughs> and I, too, have introduced this constitutional amendment several times, each time unsuccessfully, because it requires a two-thirds vote in both houses of the legislature. So um, I want to turn to my father. You were a 35-year, 35-year? 32 years. 32-year right. civics teacher at South San Francisco High School. Correct. And that experience as a teacher Clearly, you took that to your public service in Sacramento. And was this the f very first bill you introduced? No. No. Okay. I, How did I, you come uh, up with that concept? Well, I'd always believed that, uh, that if we could uh, make a government more accessible to seniors in high school who are being trained and learning about government, if they could actually exercise that vote, it would be, a, it would be an asset to both the, the state and to the to education for the kids. And so uh, it sort of was an idea that had been kicking around a little bit, and I did introduce it uh, my first, second, and third terms. Uh, it was always uh, Assembly Constitutional Amendment 17, because that, that was the age we were looking at. But as, uh, as Assembly Member Mullen 2.0, <laughs> Uh, suggested it takes a two-thirds vote. And for all three times I introduced it and got it to the floor of the assembly, I got every Democratic vote and no Republican votes at all. And my first term, I think we had 48. So we were six or seven shy and uh, could never get over that hurdle, despite the fact that, as you may have heard earlier, uh, many of the, the young people who now register uh, don't select either the Democrats or the Republicans. They tend to be a, uh, uh, we used to call it decline to state, but it's now. Yeah, no party preference. No party preference. NPP. I like decline to state because I'm an old guy and I have these things in my mind and they don't change very quickly. So now that you have a two-thirds built-in vote with the Democrats, I have great hope that it's going to get onto the ballot, and I think it's a worthwhile. When I first introduced it, there were 13 states that allowed 17-year-olds who would be 18 by the general to vote in the preceding primary. Now you said there's 23 states, I think? We, I believe we would be the 23rd state yeah. to take that, take that step. And um, you know, I wanted to turn to our young people. Um, what your initial reactions are to that kind of a proposal? Is that something that you believe would have merit as a senior in high school, as a 17-year-old, uh, to participate in that primary if you'd be 18 by the general. And let me ask you, Alexia. Um, so I think I think it's a positive. Um, I think it'd be a positive change because if 
these students are going to be participating in the general election, why not get them involved sooner? The sooner they're involved, the more knowledge they'll have. And we want educated citizens and we want um, them to make the correct decisions for our country also and for local legislation. So I think um, having them uh, be able to vote when they're 17, it promotes that and it encourages other students. Oh, like my, my friends are my friends are voting like I, and they're 17, but they're going to be 18. Like that'll make me more excited. Just like I just decided to join youth in government because of um, a friend who encouraged me to do so. Ainsley, do you concur? Uh, yeah, I agree. So in government, in my government class right now, we've talked a lot about political efficacy, which is um, an individual's trust in the government and also their faith in the ability to impact the government. So if you have 17 going on 18-year-olds who will be voting in the general election, why shouldn't they have a say in who they will be voting for in that general election? You know, the primary election is when we decide who's on the ballot in the general election. So if you have um, trust in the individual that you're choosing and faith that you can have a say in who is chosen to put on that ballot. I feel like that's a really um, big positive to encourage civic engagement, especially because we're learning so much about that in school as 17 going on 18 year olds. Yeah. So after if this legislation passes, have you thought about like expanding it further, like lowering the voting age in general? Because like I know what I've heard from some people is like, you get a job at 15 and a half, you start paying taxes. Like, shouldn't you be allowed to, yeah. you know, have a say in who's going to take There was some thought to lowering the voting age to 16. Mm -hmm. We were, um, you know, we looked at the constitutionality yeah. of that, and it, it's tricky. Now, there's nothing explicitly mm -hmm. in the U.S. Constitution which prohibits us as a state from lowering it, mm. but the existing sort of standard out there are these 23 states that allow the 17-year-old primary vote because it's linked to, directly linked to becoming 18 by the general. So you can make the legal case that it's really a continuation of participation from the primary to the general. Um, I think <clears throat> the way California is going, it's, it's I, I would not be shocked in my lifetime if we wind up lowering the voting age to 16. But these things are often incremental. Yeah. It takes the public a little while to get used to those ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, interestingly enough, when I was a staff member for uh, Jackie. Jackie Spear, when she was in the assembly, when she held my job, she's now our congresswoman, but when she had my job, um, she, lowered, she wanted to lower the voting age to 14. Interesting. And we got lots of pushback on that. <laughs> In fact, the original proposal, the original proposal was something called kids vote, mm -hmm. that if you were a 18 year old, 18 and up, and you had children, you got to vote as a proxy on behalf of your children. You now she was, two or three, four <laughs> she was making the point that we fund government programs or don't fund government programs that affect young people, that affect kids, but they don't have a voice directly in the process. Uh, that was really more of a symbolic effort she was making to raise those points. Um, that uh, was, uh, didn't, didn't have much life in the legislature. She did amend that to be a 14-year-old vote, and that, too, got lots of pushback. So um, I think it was done more to sort of spur this conversation that, in some ways, I think has laid the foundation for really looking at these issues about 
um, young people, high school uh, uh, juniors and seniors who very much are affected by funding in the K-12 system and are looking at uh, higher education at the community college level or the UC, CSU level. So uh, I think all of that was sort of early uh, laying the foundation for the conversations uh, that my father and now I have uh, continued. So we've got a little bit of a studio audience here gathered around uh, our podcast interview table. Um, I have a question for this Mr. Mullen, actually. <laughs> um, how did you go from being a high school teacher to being a public official? Okay. When I first started teaching in South San Francisco in the late 60s, I was uh, kind of interested in serving on one of the boards or commissions. And so I asked one of the council members at the time, how do you apply to be uh, oh, a planning commissioner? And he said, well, you have to know somebody. There was no formal process. And I thought, well, how odd is that for a city uh, of maybe I 40,000 at the time, maybe, uh, not to have a process so that people other than friends of council people could get on commission. So that sort of spurred me a little bit to get involved and uh, I kind of agitated a little bit. Uh, and so they did set up a process. And then a couple years later, I was, uh, I was selected to be a planning commissioner. And uh, the fact that I was teaching government, it made sense that I would be involved in government as well. And uh, so I did that uh, for quite from the early 70s until I was elected to the state, uh, to the city council in 1995. And by then, my kids had grown. I had more time. Uh, to uh, devote to to uh, local government, and then uh, two terms later, a uh, position in the state legislature became open, and uh, I was sort of a long shot uh, entry to make it, but I was successful because I had taught thirteen thousand kids. They all had families. <laughs> And I always said if I gave the kids A's, B's, or C's, they probably voted for me. And if they got D's or F's, they probably didn't register. So there's no problem. <laughs> anyway. And also I have another question for both of the Mr. Mullins, actually. So what's the difference, but, or not difference, but how is it running for city council compared to running for state assembly? Uh, very good. That's a good question. You want to talk about that? or um, You're better talking about that because... Uh, although uh, I had a somewhat competitive race for the city council, I did not have a competitive race for the assembly. I was able to clear the field, and it was um, a very different kind of a campaign, but you had a very competitive uh, I had a competitive race when I ran for city council, and I had a very one of the most uh, competitive races when I ran for the state assembly. And, and at the time, I think there was more than – the state assembly race uh, – uh, generated more than $2 million in campaign. I think at that time it was the most expensive state race, and this is before the, the top two primary has, has generated much more uh, spending. And I think perhaps if it was the most expensive in California, it's probably the most expensive in the United States. And uh, so I was outspent by several people uh, in that race. In the, uh, the city council, that's, the difference is that was a kitchen tabletop campaign. We designed our own campaign material, put it together, did the own, our own photography. Uh, and because it's a relatively small area, you can do a lot of personal contact. 
And uh, so I think I lost about 25 pounds walking precincts. Uh, when I ran for re-election, I gained 10 because I didn't have much opposition. That was a joke, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I did, I did gain the 10, but that's not why. <laughs> and, uh, and that was a very, it was a competitive uh, city council election. But again, the fact that I had been a longtime teacher and because I had uh, started teaching in this city in a time when I could afford to buy a house. Uh, and I'm in that, that's my starter home. I'm still in it 50 years later. Uh, most, of the, most of the teaching staff could live locally. Now, unfortunately, so many of them are road warriors. They teach and then they get in the car and do an hour to wherever. And uh, that, I think, is a real detriment. That's why I'm a big advocate of, of teacher housing in our community, building teacher housing at, uh, at uh, one of the vacant school sites and very actively pushing that. So the only comment I would make on your question, not comparing the, the two uh, kinds of races, but we have city council members in our studio audience here, and I think they would concur with me. There's nothing quite like running a local campaign where it really is very much a door-to-door -door campaign, and they will tell you that's the gold standard because if you go to a voter's home, knock on their door, and engage them in a conversation, they will remember who you are, and um, I always welcomed uh, the campaign at the local level because you really hear things from voters when you go to their house. These are folks that may not be willing to come to a city council meeting, but you really are getting a feel for what people are talking about in a community. And uh, there's nothing quite like running a grassroots uh, city council campaign. And good state assembly races, I would say, mirror that. You really do have to be grassroots and talking to voters and not getting lost in sort of the media or the social media conversation. You still have to meet people where they are. So I just wanted to also ask our young people, um, among, your, among your peers as seniors in high school, do you all talk about what's happening politically in the world or... Are you focused really on kind of the day-to-day, -day, just getting through, getting by? Or do you find yourself having political conversations with some of your peers and your friends? What, I'm just trying to take the temperature of what it's like to be a senior in high school in 2019. Um, so, you know, there is a lot of variation in engagement. Um, a lot of my friends are very interested in politics. So I tend to find myself having a lot of these uh, political discussions in depth and, you know, going out and becoming engaged. And I know a number of my friends as well as myself did. We were uh, student poll workers for the midterm election. So I find at least that um, people who are interested, there is very much an outlet and a community of people who are willing to support uh, political discussion and debate. And for people who aren't so interested in that, you know, that's a personal choice, but there's always that community there that's willing to hear all different opinions and just welcome every point of view and really have that rich discussion. 
I'd say for me it's a combination. You know, yeah. we, we do talk about um, politics, I'd say, quite a lot. Um, I'm the president, co-president of the Voices of Struggle Club in my school, so I promote that. You know, I try to promote that in every class that I with all my friends, everything. And in our government class, I think it's a huge thing also. Everybody comes in all excited. You know, we're excited to learn about this. What Democrat, Democrat nominee entered the race today? You know, every day we hear something else. You know, we're watching the, the announcement of Biden in class, like, for fun it's just you know things and, like that that excite and us. that's 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 why having the ability to vote in the primary is so essential because what you're doing is choosing who the candidates will be when you get the chance to vote in the general election in november so that getting that front end loading front end to have an option that you can then decide who you're going to have as your candidates or what what issues will be uh, will be forward so final question for my father on this segment and that Never say is final to an old guy. <laughs> very frightening. Thanks for that. Uh, so, 32 years in the classroom as a government teacher, uh, 12 as a local and state official working in government. Have you uh, been contacted by young people that you taught who've actually chosen to go into a public service career? Uh, that you may have had some influence on and when you have and I think the answer is yes uh, how does that make you feel uh, it's it's uh, the, well the short answer is yeah I've had uh, a number of students that I've taught that have wound up in public service careers as a matter of fact one of our current city council members is a former student of mine a former city council member who was just elected as city clerk was a student of mine uh, so that's that's always uh, it's it's a thrill to have people come back and and say that uh, you made a difference. Now the difference is that you know I'm I haven't changed much since I was a teacher. I mean I'm still an old guy, but a lot of the kids that I taught that were 17 that come up to me when they're 45 look a lot different, and when they give you a bear hug and don't identify themselves, it's a little bit frightening. <laughs> But uh, no, it, it, that's one of the perks of being a teacher is that you have a chance, particularly when you are able to live in the same community where you taught. Uh, it's great to run into former students all the time, and I do that all the time. Uh, right when I was, right after I retired, uh, I would nod to everybody at Safeway between the ages of 50 and 15 because they either could have been a student of mine or were, had been one in the past. Now I don't nod to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> So I have no doubt that one of these young people assembled here will uh, choose a, a public service career. But I want to thank my father, former assembly member Gene Mullen, and I want to thank Ainsley Rosenthal from El Camino High School and Alexia Estrada from South San Francisco High School and our various Youth and Government Day participants. Give yourself a round of applause. I am assembly member Kevin Mullen, and this is Look West. The Look West podcast is produced by the California Assembly Democrats. Please subscribe and rate this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And when you think of California and politics, remember to look west.